Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. This is Carlos Hidalgo, author of Driving Demand, Transforming B2B Marketing to Meet the Needs of the Modern Buyer, and you're listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer in 2016. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's working in modern marketing. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything discussed in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today, we're joined by Carlos Hidalgo, and we're going to talk about his new book, Driving Demand, Transforming B2B Marketing to Meet the Needs of the Modern Buyer. Carlos Hidalgo has over 20 years experience as a B2B marketer and is widely recognized for his expertise in strategic integrated marketing, demand generation, and marketing automation. As CEO and principal of Inuitas, Carlos drives strategy and leads core practice teams to transform demand for enterprise clients globally. Carlos has been named one of the 50 most influential people in sales lead management and a who's who in B2B marketing. Carlos, congratulations on driving demand and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you. I appreciate uh, you having us here and I look forward to the discussion. Well, let me just start off by uh, thanking you for sending me a copy of the book. You're very welcome. I uh, just want to say that you know, when, by sending me this book, The Money Saved, a donation has been made in your name to the Douglas Burdett Single Malt Scotch Fund. Hey, I'm all about that. I'm all about that. So save a little sip for me and okay. uh, we'll make sure we polish it off together. Yes. Well, you know, every little bit helps. And a message to all you other authors out there. So I, I should state up front that the forward to the book was written by Joe Polizzi, president of Content Marketing Institute, and he's twice been on this show. See, when you're the host of the Marketing Book Podcast, you, you just really take notice of who writes the forewords and and who is uh, mentioned the acknowledgments. You know, Joe was so critical in, in the book uh, several years ago. I think it was about three years ago at Content Marketing World. He said to me, you know, Carlos, you have the idea in your head. You have everything you want to put in your head. It's now time you put it down to paper. So he was such a motivating factor among with many others. I thought of nobody better to write the forward. And I read a lot of forwards. It's a really good forward. It's, it's only it two really pages, is. but it, it's, it's fantastic. It really is. It really is. It, and it, was, it, uh, it teed it up very nicely. So I, I can't thank him enough for taking the time to do that for me. So let me start with just an opening quote on uh, page uh, XV of the introduction. Mm -hmm. This book is intended to be used as a guide for those B2B marketers and leaders who see the need for transforming their demand generation operations and want to adopt a systematic, strategic approach to buyer interaction. This book will not detail seven quick and easy steps for marketing leaders to take in order to transform their organization. There are no easy ways to bring about true transformation of this type. This book will not seek to solve all the challenges that face a B2B marketing department. Instead, it will focus solely on B2B demand generation. Mm -hmm. So 
Carlos, share with us the the story about the inspiration for this book and how it came to be and 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 who it's most going to help. Yeah, I, I think the inspiration is the number of B2B marketers who are trying to solve for demand generation and trying to solve for this very connected, very sophisticated buyer of today. I have a <clears throat> the privilege and opportunity speak at a lot of different events, and then I also interact with a lot of prospects. And of course, our, our our clientele, and there's a common refrain of, "Hey, the buyer has changed so dramatically in terms of access to information, how they interact, a consensus, a committee sale, or a committee purchase. How do we make the changes? How do we drive what we need to do and be effective in connecting to them when, you know, we're at the same time getting immense pressure from the business to deliver every 90 days? How do we do this? So they were really the inspiration for the book. And um, on top of it, I I, heard, I have heard more than one occasion, I actually referenced it in the book, where somebody had come up to me and said, I, I come to these conferences and I hear a lot of what I need to do. What I want is somebody to tell me how to do it. Now, at a conference, we only have 45 minutes to an hour to speak, so it's really difficult to say, hey, he- Here's how you do it. So it was a combination of those discussions with what I've seen in the marketplace over the number of years to just say somebody needs to write something that details the changes that need to happen and then give them a blueprint to say, this is the process by which you change. And it isn't easy. I stick by that statement. It's not easy. And when I see people say, hey, follow these seven easy steps for amazing content and demand generation change, it makes me bristle because it makes it sound like, you know, being a uh, Amway soap salesman. You, you, all you have to do is do follow this formula and voila, you're going to have magic. If it was that easy, everybody would be doing it. Yeah. And the there's so much in the book that I, I really enjoyed. I am I work in you know B two B marketing, and I I loved the book. I'm, I'm glad I glad I read the book, and I actually have three pages of typed questions for you, but we're only going to be able to get to a few of them. Um, okay. But this is the part of the the interview where I talk about my feelings. Okay. And <laughs> I was so fired up, and there were parts of the book where I was reading, and. You know in Zoolander where the, the guy says, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. There, there were several yes. parts where I th- I've thought I've been taking crazy pills, and then I saw you talk about some of these issues in the book, and I was thinking, oh, God, I'm not the only one. I, I'm not. We're not alone here. <laughs> some of these struggles. Right. And the other thing was, you know, I may be a little too close to it, like, like maybe you are, but it, it, it showed, you know, it, it was a helpful reminder that, that so many businesses are, are not there. And I think that if a, if you're a B2B marketer and you want to transform your career, you're going to want to read this book and you're going to look back on it. You know how some books have that effect and they're going to say, that's, that's the one I read. And the other thing that came to mind was I've seen a number of articles in the last year or so about how there are more and more CMOs that are becoming CEOs. You know how it used to come from like finance and accounting, but now there's more CMOs and this talks to some of that. I think that if people are steering in this direction and they're in the marketing field, they are they could possibly be on that track because it's so much more about revenue and and that type of thing. So and this is the only other thing I was going to say and, and, and we only say it on this kind of podcast about marketing books, but it had a great bibliography and footnotes. There were so many things I'm going to be able to use in there, like for presentations or for blog posts, you know, supporting documents, mm-hmm. including some of yours that I, 
I'll stop now. Okay. Now, now we're going to get back well, to you. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. That, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons that I wrote it is to help B2B marketers. And I think you're right. Sometimes you wonder, am I the only one experiencing this? Yes. So I'm, gl- I'm glad to hear that it resonated. So for the benefit of the listener, explain what demand generation is. You know, we define demand generation, and when I say we, I think about us at Annuitas, Annuitas um, and what we do with our clients. First and foremost, it's a perpetual process. When you think about the audiences that we're speaking to, buyers don't collectively hit a pause button on a buying process to wait for us to retool and launch a new campaign. So we put together a perpetual program that engages, nurtures, and converts the buyers according to their buying process. It's also designed to educate and qualify. And I think so much of organizations just think about, oh, we got to drive a qualified lead. Well, first and foremost, sometimes you need to create content that just educates your buyers on how they should be thinking about their problem. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, it's all about driving sustainable revenue and maximizing customer lifetime value. And that's where the strategic part comes in as it relates to the business. And so that's really how we define demand generation. And it should be targeted at both your new acquisition targets as well as your current customer base as trying to turn them into advocates and expand the share of wallet. Mm. Now, in the book, you mentioned that you were once giving a talk at a, at a university marketing major. Mm-hmm. Uh, came up to you and said, what does B2B mean? <laughs> so it, it means business to business. It's, it's an acronym, business to right. business, not business to consumer. But you say there's never been a better time to be a B2B marketer. Why is that? You know, a lot of that comes to, and I'll date myself here, but when I started my career more than 20 years ago and when I was in the big software companies, I mean, the biggest thing we had to do And one of our biggest responsibilities, which was called sales enablement, was made sure that sales had the latest data sheets and brochures on our product. Mm -hmm. And that they looked pretty. Right. And and if sales, if one sales guy out of 500 didn't like it, my word, did you hear about it? (laughs) And so when I look today and I say, all right, the buyer is consuming more content before they engage with sales, according to Demand Gen Report. The buyer is involving sales later on in the sales process, 57% according to CEB. The buyer has fundamentally changed the way they engage because we have all the information we want in the palm of our hands via our smartphones. Somebody has to fill that gap. It's not going to be sales. I'll do respect to salespeople. It's going to be marketing. And when we now get a seat at the table to say, here's how we're impacting revenue. Here's how we're driving pipeline. Here's how we're driving customer engagement. There is no better time because I remember the days when we weren't strategic. I remember the days when the first thing that was always cut was the marketing budget because we could always reduce our print spend on brochures. And I remember the days when if you were invited to a sales QBR or a sales kickoff, you got about 10 minutes on stage to just talk about all the cool events that you're going to go to. We are so much more strategic. And I think very few times, if any, in the times of your career, do you get a chance to truly make an impact? And now is that time. And I've been saying that for a number of years, and I I still hold to it. I love being a B2B marketer. Do you think that the B2B sales world is in certain ways behind B2B marketing in terms of acknowledging this different buyer, the, the way people want to buy now? Absolutely. I, I can, and that is evidenced by the seven, and I kid you not, the seven emails I've received just this morning 
from salespeople saying, saw your name, saw your company, I'd like 20 minutes of your time to do X, Y, and Z. A, I don't know who you are. B, I'm not interested. C, I'm not the one in our company responsible for that. And D, I definitely don't have 20 minutes for you on a cold email. And if this is what you think is social selling, then you probably need to really study up on what that means. I believe salespeople are further behind than B2B marketers in understanding the changes, the nuances, and how their buyers buy. And I sympathize with them, so I don't, I don't attack them, but I sympathize with them because salespeople used to run the show in organizations, and now the buyer has ceded control. And I think a lot of times salespeople are saying, what do we need to do? Yeah. How do we respond to this? Yeah, and I think that they're longing for the old days, and there's still a sales muscle memory of, I'm just going to, I'll take care. I'm, I'm going I'm to strong arm and pull them through my sales process. And you know, sometimes when I'm talking to folks like that, I, I say, well, tell me about how you buy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they start to describe how their own customers are buying from them. It's just a, I guess it's just so obvious that, that they don't see it. In, in the book, you talk about how marketing and sales are still not working together. Can you tell the story uh, about the client you have where the sales and marketing were like two ships passing in the night? Well, I, I think I could, I could, <laughs> I could outline numerous, numerous clients. Well, that, even in your own career, you, you talked about how you started years ago. You started a company and you met the sales guys, and they said, "Hey, you know, we're glad you're here with the company. We're we're good for you, but we really don't do anything with marketing. We don't really understand what you guys do, and." We had no expectations for you. Can you tell that story? Yeah, um, that was uh, my first day. Was that sales kickoff? And my my idea was to integrate with sales and marketing. And my good friend, he's a good friend to this day. Mike said, "Hey, welcome to the company." But uh, I got to be honest, marketing's never done anything for me, and I don't expect you to do any different. It, that was kind of a, a very blunt. And Mike is a South Side of Chicago guy, so I I, I appreciated the directness. But I was hell bent then on a mission to prove him wrong. And say, all right, well, let's let's figure this out. If if indeed, so I did some research and I did find that you know what he was right. Marketing hadn't done anything for him in the past. So my first thing was to kind of mea culpa and say, hey, you're right. I apologize for that on behalf of all of my predecessors. How do we change that? And we spent a lot of time working to make sure that we understood not what sales needed, but what the customer needed. And if we could provide what the customer needed, then we would have qualified, highly qualified leads going to sales. And to tell you how that changed in just a year, it took us some time. It took a lot of back and forth. It took a lot of help me help you. But towards the end of that one year, I started to have salespeople who would shoot me emails, pick up the phone and call me or stop in my office and say, hey, I wanted you to know I just closed a deal that you guys generated. Thank you. that That is an unbelievably big deal. Yeah, it was it was great. It was great. And Mike, the same guy who very, you know, bluntly told me off, stood in front of the sales kickoff the next year and said, I want to call out the marketing team. He said, You won my heart, you turned things around, you're a strategic part of what we're doing. And again, that wasn't an overnight endeavor. We still weren't perfect at that point. We were still working through a lot of different things, but we were able to move the needle substantially, not because we said, hey, sales is our customer. Sales isn't the customer of marketing. The customer is the customer. And we started to really understand what does the customer need from us on both the marketing and the sales side? And through that, how can we parlay that into generate effective demand? 
The term buyer-centric really came through in the book in terms of explaining how to align these kinds of things. Can -hmm. you explain, however, why a lot of organizations still don't have their their marketing departments properly aligned or structured? You know, I I I think there's you you had uh, used the term muscle memory. I think whenever the organizations, most organizations I see are aligning by tactics. So mm-hmm. it's social, it's an email team, it's a marketing automation team, it's a web team, it's digital a events, group, right? It's an events team, and then what we also see is corporate marketing is driving so much of demand generation. So I think first and foremost, it's really hard to shuffle the deck sometimes. It's hard to say, hey, we're going to do- go develop this whole organization responsible for demand generation, even if that's what needs to be done. So that's part of the change management, which is difficult on many levels in many organizations. And I also think the common approach for marketing has just been to spring up different teams or different organizations in response to a shifting market. And I reference that in the book, a quote by Robert Rose, also a CMI, that says, we're just bifurcating the organization and therefore the customer journey. And so we need to stop creating these silos and switch to say, let's put an organization together that's responsible for generating demand across all of our audience segments, all of our solution sets. Will that require change? Yes. Will that change the culture? Absolutely. But more importantly, will it get you closer to your buyer and change results? Absolutely. Yeah. I think you also talked about how there are some organizations that are structured where top of the funnel content is different mm-hmm. from the middle of the funnel people. They're, they might not even be in the same office. Right. And th- there's no visibility into, and that's, that's another organization I referenced in the book where the, the poor friend of mine, the individual that I, I connect with quite often, her team is responsible for that middle of the funnel content, but she has no visibility in what's happening top of the funnel at the engaged stage. How do you create consistent content. It's like looking through a a keyhole and saying, I want you to design this entire room, but you're only going to get this kind of visibility. Mm -hmm. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. One thing in the book that one of many that hit me over the head is you you said that action does not actually equal change. Mm -hmm. What's, What's behind that? Well, this is what I see so many organizations do. It's I call it because marketing. Well, we're going to do this because. Mm. You know, CMI has a, has a report every year in conjunction with marketing profs, the content report. What I've noticed over the last three years is the level of organizations saying we're going to create more content is usually between 80 and 90 percent. However, the ROI, being able to prove the ROI on that content over the last three years has gone from 42% to 30%. And so there's a lot of action that's happening. We're creating more content. We're doing more campaigns. We're getting out in more social channels. We are sending more emails. But it's not changing anything. We're, we're, we're creating and, and conducting marketing insanity, doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting vastly different results. It cannot work that way. It doesn't, evidently. And you also talk about how a lot of organizations will start with this as like a technology solution mm-hmm. instead of the fundamental change that has to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I think that probably the the reference I use, and they're now a client, is when the vice president called me and said, "I've got, I've got two Ferraris parked in our our corporate parking <laughs> right. lot, that marketing parking lot." Right? He said, "Marketing, Marketo for marketing automation and Salesforce.com for CRM." He said, "I need somebody to come in and teach me how to drive them." <laughs> 
And I think, you know, if you want to add big data and predictive and everything else into there, it's the shiny new toy syndrome where we have so much technology at our disposal, but we don't know how to really use it. We don't know how to actually put a strategy behind it. So technology should be viewed as an enabler, not as the starting point. Yes. Easy to explain, but it seem, may seem like a subtle difference to somebody, but it, it, it's the, it makes a world of difference. Right. Now it's time for a little tough love. What advice do you give to a marketer, Carlos, who is trying to become more buyer aligned, but the CEO leads sales and does not see the need for change? I think there are a lot of folks out there like that. What's, what's your career advice? You know, I said this from the stage once and I got a lot of laughs and I was, I was dead serious is I would brush up your resume. I think my first step would be ultimately sit down with the CEO and present a business case and a lot of the data that's out there in the space from research groups. You know, Annuitus, we had, we published a survey, CEB published a survey, Demand Gen Report has some great surveys. If that's not going to move the needle, I, I, in all seriousness, go out and find a new job and find a place where you can actually serve as a change agent. Because if you stay in that organization, you're going to get frustrated, your skills are going to diminish. And ultimately, if marketing is not seen as a strategic growth driver for the organization, that is a space where it's going to be very frustrating for you to be a B2B marketer. Mm, Yeah. Another question. Uh, Why do 80% of CEOs not trust CMOs? And, and what can CMOs do to try and fix that? I think CMOs traditionally have not spoken the language of the business. I believe in the book, I quote one of the CMOs I talked to who said, I don't want to get anywhere near revenue. It scares me. Uh, not good. Not good, no, folks. No. You know, I'm a CEO of our organization, and I talk with CEOs and CFOs, and the, the more enlightened CMOs start to understand I'm as much responsible for driving revenue virtually as much as the head of sales is. And so I think when CMOs shirk that responsibility and when they traditionally show Facebook lights or web page impressions or clicks or opens. Nobody cares about that unless you can tie all of that to how are we driving revenue. You know, it's one of the ways I got into this business. When I was at McAfee, my boss brought me in and said, we gave you X million dollars to drive leads for the sales force. If you can't tell me what you return to the organization, he said, I guarantee you, your replacement will. That was the conversation. Mm-hmm. And so it was pretty motivating. I wanted to keep my job. Mm-hmm. And it really changed how we were going to go and start to do marketing at that company. So I think that's what CMOs need to change. Talk the language of the business and start to show how you're contributing to pipeline revenue and maximizing customer lifetime value. Yeah, because I think otherwise they're seen as the make it pretty department. Yeah. And so when I got to cut a budget, I'm not going to cut product development. I'm not going to cut sales budget. No. They're the ones making it rain. And if marketing can only say, hey, we you know, launched a social channel and we got 3,000 likes, well, who cares? <laughs> Unless I can show how that contributes to the bottom line, especially publicly traded companies. I mean, we're a small organization ourselves, and I require that of our marketing department and say, if we're going to give the, you this money, I better see a return on investment. Mm-hmm. And I think if, uh, you know, this book brought to mind a couple others. One of them was Michael Brenner's recent book about the content formula. And mm-hmm. it, it actually has a little bit of math in it, but it's really easy math. But it, if, if a marketer gets that book, reads this book, 
And they are then going in and talking some of this language of how they're starting to connect with revenue. I, I just think it's going to blow some of the C-suite away. I, I hope it does. And I think, it, you know, if you want to add another layer to that, is sit down with your sales counterpart and do some reverse funnel math and say, all right, if this is your quota, how much can marketing drive how how much can we feasibly drive and reasonably drive to get you to that point of quota and then start to measure the same things and go a step further as a marketing leader and start to compensate your people on those same things. That'll change behavior very quickly. Mm-hmm. One other topic that is just, it's so baked into your book is where you talk about one of the biggest limiting factors when, when it comes to making this change to accountability is that so many leaders miss the aspect of of changing the culture. Mm-hmm. And it seems like do you do you see a lot of organizations where they're they're trying to make little little changes around the margins instead of like for instance are they are they trying to kill the alligators instead of trying to drain the swamp? Yeah, I mean, I spoke to one this morning who, in this literally in the same breath, said there's a huge focus on really generating quality leads this year for our sales force, and we have to make that work. However. We're very cost conscious and we don't want to spend a lot of money. (laughs) And I'm like, "Uh, okay, so I'm not really sure what we can do here because sometimes you do have to spend a lot of money in the market that they're in. It's a pretty targeted audience. So it, it, it was, it was, it was odd to me. And then they coupled it with, and we got to get something up and running very, very, very quickly. So I really think this, you know, this idea of changing the culture where leaders give their people the bandwidth to say, we didn't get dysfunctional overnight. How do we think we're going to fix this overnight? It's impossible. So leaders need to give their people the understanding that this may take a while, but we still want to report on the results and the progress we're making as we go through. And you know what? If we make a mistake along the way, it's okay. Let's just learn from it. Mm-hmm. And so leader, leaders need to change that. And you're gonna ch- if you're going to change your organization, change the culture in your marketing department. Yeah. There was also a, another funny story. Well, not funny. I was laughing to keep from crying. But you said, you, I think you were with a client. And they said, yeah, you know, I'm... Uh, Carlos, this is a great uh, process you've laid out and everything, but um, we need to do it like in a month. <laughs> can, can you do that? You know, I, I still have a nervous tick from that client, but yeah, that was a, and, and in essence, you know, in hindsight, I should have just said, you know what, we're not going to do that. We're, we're, we're not going to do it because it's, it's inefficient, it's ineffective. And I can tell you that that was a program, unfortunately, for both sides that wasn't effective because we did try to rush the process. You can't rush change. It starts with the culture. Then you have to change the process. Then you have to change how you go about and build these programs. And then you got to implement the programs and then measure the programs so you can learn from them. That's not an overnight endeavor. And so many people expect it to be. And then on top of it, you have a bunch of you know, different small whether they're individual or, or organizations saying, hey, we can do this for you in, in, in three months. Well, mm-hmm. good, good luck with that. Let me know how it works for you. <laughs> and also in the book, we didn't talk about this, but you, you talk a good bit about how to deal with the naysayers, you know, the people sitting mm-hmm. there with their arms crossed at the conference table who just are not buying into it. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a real challenge. And sometimes um, you even talk about how you, you, organizations are actually have to prune some of their people to keep them from getting the results they need. Yeah, you know, change is hard, no matter which way you look at it. It's I mean, terrifying. A, 
It is. There's a reason why we go into restaurants, and I'm guilty of this. And I can go into a restaurant, and I can go in with the best of intentions, and I usually end up ordering the same thing because it's known. And I've had organizations and leaders who've looked at me and say, "We know what we're doing is not optimal, but you know, it's 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 what's comfortable." We have to get out of those comfort zones. And I think if you can't bring those people along, if you can't get them to to see the other side of the coin, if they can't if they can't get past themselves, it's probably opportunity to transition them out of the organization. And they're probably better served somewhere else, either in your organization or in some other company, but they're not going to help be a change agent for you or drive any kind of agile learning that we also talk about in the book. Mm -hmm. Well, let's put a cap on that. And uh, I'm going to ask you to to tell the listener what you mentioned, Robert Rose from the content Mm -hmm. marketing Institute earlier. What is the risk according to Robert Rose? Uh, to organizations that do not adapt to the changing way that customers buy, you die. <laughs> I mean, it's it's simple. It's that simple. Um, There's lots of and, evidence of it out there. We're, well, you're, you're not making this up. No, I mean, if you look at the consumer side, right? Let's just say ten years ago, did anybody think Blockbuster would be a thing of the past? Mm-mm. You want to talk about an organization that failed to tap into what their buyers were wanting, and then it was uh, highlighted and 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 helped along by Netflix and Redbox. And you know, here was an organization that eventually tried, but tried far too late. And so it may not be an imminent death, but it's going to be a death over time. And when you when I see B two B organizations that start to decline rapidly in revenue. My marketing mind says, well, what are they doing to connect with their buyers? If you're not, you will die. And Robert is exactly right. Yeah, it's just, it's, they're probably going to start dying faster and faster. That's, that's my theory. <laughs> so, Carlos, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? I would say it's all about the buyer. I mean, it seems so elementary, but it's, and it's not just, well, we've got our buyer personas. You've got to literally put yourself in the mind of the buyer, how they buy, why they buy, what pushes them into a purchase process, what market factors are impacting their purchase, down to the individual level of the buying committee. If you've got five people on the buying committee, you've got to know that for every single one, including their content preferences and their content consumption patterns. There's a lot to understand. Just having a buyer persona or understanding the macro buying process, it's simply not enough. You really have to get down into the weeds with your buyer. And it is then you can start to construct a content architecture that aligns to every step of their journey at the individual as well as the corporate level. Mm, well said. And we didn't go soon to buyer personas here, but there there is a part where you talk about how it's really important that you go and talk to the buyers. Don't talk just to the sales guys because right. they're not informed of that 60 to 70% of what goes on with the buyer before they're pulled in. And in Adele Ravella's book, Buyer Personas, she talks about this too. And it's 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 a really, really important, but a lot of folks just don't want to pick up the phone or <laughs> talk to the buyer. Well, but, and then and some are precluded from doing that. Some are, are, uh, are, I'm sorry, prohibited from doing that by their organizations, where nobody's mm-hmm. allowed to talk to the customer, but sales, except for sales, that's ludicrous. Mm-hmm. That's ludicrous because they are a wealth of information. Yeah. Are there any recent or upcoming marketing books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading? You know, you had uh, mentioned Michael's book. I just received it not too long ago, so it's sitting here on my desk. So I'm definitely looking forward to uh, to diving into that. The I content have, formula. Yes. I don't have 
I don't have any insight into any others that are uh, are forthcoming, but if I do, I'll pass them along. And I am ruminating on my next one, although I oh. uh, I need a I need a few uh, more cycles to kind of get it down on paper. And I will be con- uh, conferring with the likes of Michael and some others to make sure that my theories on content are sound before I uh, put anything out there. Oh well, I'm going to look forward to reading it. I. I was interviewing uh, Tom Martin once. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote The Invisible Sale, and uh, yep. he was joking about how I, I said, hey, well, are there any other books coming along? Or no, someone asked his wife, is Tom going to write another book? And his wife said, I don't know. Ask his next wife. Oh. <laughs> you know, that is, that is extremely true. I, um, uh, in, in my acknowledgments, I do recognize my family because it, uh, it is a labor to, to make sure you get this thing done. And there is a lot of time you spend locked behind some doors, pounding on a laptop and come out where your hair looks like Kramer. And you are, uh, you wonder if you're going to see straight or if you can talk anything else about the book. So I'm, I'm, there was a lot of people, most notably my, my wife and who's an amazing woman and my kids who uh, really helped make this thing a reality. So it was definitely a team effort. So Carlos, how can listeners best find out more about you and your book? Sure. I think for me, uh, visit me on LinkedIn, link, my LinkedIn profile. Uh, I'm very active on Twitter as well at at C.A. Hidalgo. That's H-I-D-A-L-G-O. You can go find out about uh, the book on Amazon.com. And there's also the website drivingdemand.net. And then if you want to see more about what we're writing about and some of the work that we do, annuitas.com. And that's A-N-N-U-I-T-A-S.com. Thanks, and we'll make sure to include uh, links to all of those in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Great. Thanks again. I really appreciate the opportunity to have the talk, and it's always enjoyable. Well, let me just read one last excerpt from the book. In fact, it's at the end. You say, this book provides the information on how to change the people, processes, content, and technology in order to effectively drive demand, maximize budget, optimize technology and resources, and have a greater impact on business and better alignment with B2B buyers. If organizations are going to achieve a modern state of demand generation, there has to be a fundamental understanding that it is all about change management. The name of the book is Driving Demand, Transforming B2B Marketing to Meet the Needs of the Modern Buyer. The author is Carlos Hidalgo. Carlos, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And that closes the book on Episode 65 of the Marketing Book Podcast. But please don't let the end of this episode be the end of what you can learn about modern marketing. Visit marketingbookpodcast.com for show notes, free resources, and marketing guides. And while there, make sure to sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. Again, that's marketingbookpodcast.com. I've got a question for you. What did you think of this interview? How am I doing? Let me know. Tweet me up at hashtag marketingbook. Do you have a marketing or sales book recommendation? Just hop on the Twitter and use hashtag marketingbook. It really makes my day when I hear from listeners like you. Seriously. And please join us next time as we talk with Roland Smart about his new book, The Agile Marketer, Turning Customer Experience into Your Competitive Advantage. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.
Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.